Good morning. I'm your host, Claudia Shambaugh, welcoming you to the November 14, 2023 edition of Ask a Leader. Today we'll start with Irvine City Council member Larry Agron to talk about the special measure before Irvine voters on March 24. 20, that's the primary ballot, March 2024. This special municipal election measure would amend the city's charter to expand the number of council members to serve on the city council and create districts from which they would be serving. Hyperlink is already up in the KUCI talk summary of what today's show is about, but I'm going to keep that following this program. It'll be in the podcast notes, too. In the second segment, Craig Tyrrell will return to talk about the Wayward Artist's current production of Rotterdam running through November 19th. That's the end of this week and how they're going to wrap their sixth season. And maybe we've got a little time left. I'm not so sure about that, though. A little bit about the general health of local community theaters. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show with so many Irvine residents still unaware of the Charter Amendment measure to expand the City Council and establish City Council districts. We've covered this with the demographer that the City of Irvine hired, Justin Lemon. We've covered it twice. I still want to probe, though, leaders about how they're raising the awareness about a charter amendment. So taking this up is my guest for the larger share of the hour, Irvine City Council member Larry Agron. City Council member, public interest attorney, Former mayor Larry Agron has served more than 22 years on the council, including 10 years as mayor of Irvine. He was most recently elected on November 2022's election. Larry Agron's public policy portfolio includes growth control, affordable housing, open space preservation plans, Orange County's first human rights ordinance, the nation's first comprehensive municipal ordinance to eliminate chlorofluorocarbons, CFCs in other words, and other ozone-depleting chemicals, destroying the ozone layer, programs in child care and recycling, city's living wage ordinance, and replacing Orange County supervisors' proposed international airport at the former El Toro Marine Air Base, the other hangar, with a 1,300-acre grade park. Top of mind now! is how the city plans to engage voters down ballot amidst the much anticipated drama of open legislative races at the top of the ballot. And that's next March as we covered the charter measurement here. So on the last election, the Irvine City Council was, that, that is, thinking of our last general election in 2022, Irvine City Council races were the only local races, the local entities in which the Irvine voters' ballot was at large. So all the other water district, community college district boards, all those others were by specific districts, not at large. Irvine is still the largest city in the state that still has these at-large council races. Larry comes to us today from his office in Irvine. Welcome back to Ask a Leader Council Member Larry Agron. Thanks, Claudia. It's great to be with you. Well, thank you. For those who have not heard previous coverage, we'll do sort of a, if we can call it, if we can do this, quick amendment 
talk about what the amendments, what's in there. Then we'll go on to how it's going to look on the ballot because there's so many pieces. It feels like we ought to be sending out a coloring book for every urban. And I'm going to keep saying resident. Only qualified voters are going to be participating in the primary ballot in March of next year. But the features, but I always think of its constituents, its residents of Irvine that are affected by it. But the ones that are involved, you know, electorally, of course, are the the qualified voters. But then I'd like to go in some of the, the demographics and the graphic features of the map and then what the plan will is for the council to engage voters down ballot. It's a big deal. So let's talk, what will the clerk print into the ballot, the language, you know the language you've been involved in drafting a good deal, what's the language, the language title, and the maps. Just everything, what the voters are going to see March 5th, 2024. Happy to do so. Well, listen, the uh, March 5th election is a statewide presidential primary election and a statewide primary for all legislative offices and so forth. And so uh, it's an important election leading up to the November general election. We normally have our city officers uh, elected, council members and mayor, in November at the same time that there's a a statewide uh, general election. The March 5th election, however, this time is going to include the charter amendment that will do several things. It will expand the number of council members so that the council will be a seven-member council, including a mayor, and six council members elected from separate geographic districts. As things stand right now, uh, we are a traditional smaller city in its configuration, which is a mayor elected at large and four council members for a council of five members. We, again, want to expand that from five to seven and then go to a district election configuration. The city would be divided into about, uh, well, would be divided into the six districts, each of which contains about 50,000 people, because the city of Irvine is a little bit above uh, 300,000 people now. So these districts would be... Uh, generally equal in population, would uh, be an opportunity for people to have representation that is closer to home on the city council. Um, There are a number of features associated with this. Uh, This is a special city election in March, and actually the map that includes the geographically divided districts. The map will itself be part of the ballot pamphlet statement so that voters, uh, voters who are paying attention, will actually be able to vote the whole package 
up or down. Expansion of the council, moving to district elections, and the map itself is part and parcel of this ballot measure. So it's a whole package. It's not there's not a matter of separating out the number of districts that would be the the number of members on the council added as well as the the map. Everything is all it's one giant package and we I I'm just listening to you explaining this and I watched so many hours of city council meetings working on this and so many public comments that it's it's on the city council to make all as plain as salient as possible as we were talking about there's so much that's going to be going on in the primary ballot so we've got you chose it was a three to two vote on the map that was known as 151 but that's that's sort of beyond the point now and it's a, a map that i th- think th- it was partly a strategic decision to or maybe I should say tactical, to compact as much as possible those different neighborhoods in those six districts so that people would spend a little less time trying to find out where all those lines go and they're just understanding the general idea of what districts are and the process about rolling in those. And we'll get in that process. But that the compactness was a big selling point in trying to detail where everybody was going to fit in those maps. Yes, this map is uh, free of any gerrymandering, any weird arms or legs uh, uh, to these districts. They're drawn in a very fair manner. And uh, in fact, the university community for the first time just about uh, will have a, uh, a, a guaranteed seat in the sense that uh, the university is joined with IBC, the Irvine Business complex area where, uh, of course, a lot of people associated with the university live. Uh, that's one district. The That district, of course, includes uh, University Town Center, University Hills, the dormitories, uh, and nearby uh, smaller uh, communities. Meanwhile, uh, we have another district that includes uh, Turtle Rock, Quail Hill, reaching up into the Spectrum community, uh, uh, the Spectrum Entertainment area where a lot of people live as well. We have yet another district that includes University Park, Woodbridge, and West Park. And then there's, uh, as you move kind of north in the city, uh, there are three separate districts that represent uh, kind of the center of town and what we call the old Northwood community is one of them. Uh, Yet another one represents the far north area, communities that have never had a representative on the city council. And uh, we have uh, a brand newly minted district that includes the Great Park and nearby communities uh, the Great Park neighborhoods, Woodbury, and uh, also Cypress Village. 
And again, these are geographically uh, distinct, compact, and reflect communities of interest, making sure that everybody in town has their own representative, as well as being able to elect uh, a mayor at large. So it's all one package. Uh, it was drawn uh, in accordance with city standards, uh, but also with state and federal voting rights laws in mind to make sure that all communities of interest are properly represented. I'm very proud of this piece of work that we did. And since I know you had our uh, professional demographer, uh, Dr. Uh, Levitt, on uh, your show, he's had an opportunity to explain his outstanding work in helping us pull this together. Yeah, it's it's been very helpful. And so now it's sort of now what we call in the marketing terms, the voters experience. I really, really want to make it so clear so people know, because it, it, it could look easily, Larry, look very bureaucratic. When you see charter amendment, people's eyes are going to just glaze over because they are watching all that drama. I'm going to repeat that because it's such it's such a concern. And it's so I mean, there's more drama happening increasingly on the federal and the international level. I take nothing away from the immensity of that. It is draining everybody as well as we don't we're we're looking at a potential federal government shutdown at the end of this week. So it's all of this sort of depletes the sort of civic energy any Irvine resident has left over so they can appreciate what this big step that will be taken. They're not expecting municipal action on a primary ballot. But as you said, it's a special election on a regularly scheduled primary ballot so it's it's very it's very 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 critical that we we just distill this all as much as we can i just i think a coloring book would be really helpful <laughs> sent out so let's talk about then the ma the clerk is printing out uh, the pamphlet and i understand it will go out it'll be mailed out the voter information guide on january 25th so start and that's kind of, it's a nice time. It's a little bit past, I mean, people are, maybe their last holiday cards have arrived in the mail. Now now start looking at the end of January, folks, for the voter information guide for this. And then, then tell us very briefly, Larry Agron, what the voter is going to see exactly right on the ballot. The words, the title, the arrangement, and, and that. Well, the ballot title, actually, will be... Uh very simple. It's simply uh, to expand the city council to seven members, including a mayor elected at large and six council members elected by district. That is the ballot measure. The ballot pamphlet that people will be receiving by way of information will actually include the map that has been drawn with the help of our professional demographer. So people will actually be able to locate where they live and realize that, wow, I'm going to be in this district, and they're numbered one through six. I'm going to be in this district, 
and I have a chance to vote for this change in how our local representative democracy works. So there'll be plenty of information made available to the voters. And uh, as usual, it's just then at that point, up to the voters to hopefully uh, pay attention, read what they've been mailed, and when they vote, uh, either uh, by mail or uh, waiting closer to Election Day, however they choose to vote, just make sure to vote your entire ballot all the way from the presidential primary uh, at the top to the uh, U.S. Uh, offices, the uh, Senate, House of Representatives, the partisan state offices. Uh, again, this is a statewide presidential and statewide primary election. Uh, this will be at the bottom of the ballot, but uh, it'll be there, and hopefully uh, voters will vote their entire ballot, not just stop at the top with the sexier, uh, more interesting uh, features. And one more item that will also be down ballot will be the northern portion of the city will be inside the Orange County Board of Supervisor District. That election will be up there, and what and that's important because if the if one of the candidates clears a simple majority, fifty percent plus one vote, that becomes the general election, and that has happened before. It, it happened actually the last time that board of supervisor seat election was up. So, that, so that's an additional thing going on, taking up bandwidth of voters. But that's the northern portion of the city. Does not affect the mid to southern portions. But that's also there. For those of you who've just joined us, my guest is Irvine City Council member Larry Agron talking about the Irvine City Charter Amendment to A, expand the city council, that's adding two more city council seats, and to B, establish city council districts. No more at-large council members. So the map was approved on a three-to-two vote. It wasn't a unanimous vote, and that was a a, a matter of debate is what what that was a message signaling. So the two that did not approve this map are I I think they figure in with some of the rebuttals and the arguments against the arguments for. So um, I want to know what if you'd like to say something about what the lack of a unanimous vote means for the kind of debate between now and March fifth. Yes, the uh, lack of unanimity was uh, simply with respect to this particular map itself. As I recall, Council Member Treceder, uh, who of course comes from the university community, had wanted a particular apartment complex included in what I refer to as the university district. And uh, that, in the end, was not the map that was approved. And so she voted against that particular map. She is not against, as far as I know, not against going to district elections. No, I, I meant for the, the map that it was not unanimous. And, she, and her point was she was looking at the housing, the apartments that are located right in the north 
portion of the university park that are, uh, it's a good many of them that are a part of the university community. So, but it, it's so complicated. Every time you put something in, something else has to go out and the compactness was lost. So it was a real, uh, you know, a kind of a, a tactical call is how to, to deal with representation and promotion of a, a charter amendment. Yes, the map that was ultimately adopted uh, was on a consensus vote uh, pretty much uh, in the community. There had been no objections uh, voiced, really, to map 151. That was its number that it was given. And that was drawn uh, principally by the professional demographer who had shaped that map. And then it was tweaked a little bit uh, here and there by citizens who participated in the process. And then at the end, uh, the council just uh, made uh, good use of that work. Uh, there had been many, many maps submitted. I was very proud of the democratic uh, participation, the citizen participation in the map drawing process. And of course, the final approval will be given, hopefully, by the voters and the voters at large, uh, which uh, makes this about the smoothest, uh, most uh, democratic, inclusive map drawing procedure moving to transitioning to district elections that uh, really I've ever seen. It's really been quite a remarkable exercise that we all should be proud of. One of the things we should be very proud of as well is that because ours is such a remarkably diverse and thoroughly integrated city in terms of the population, in terms of the demographics, that we were able to uh, draw these very balanced, inclusive districts uh, without having to uh, strain ourselves to find, uh, well, how do we include, you know, how do we include the uh, Southeast Asian community? How do we include the African American community? How do we include the Hispanic community? How do we include the Korean Americans, Chinese Americans, and so forth? Uh, those of us who live in Irvine to take tremendous pride in the fact that we have built what is truly, and this is a factual matter, the most diverse and thoroughly integrated city in the United States of America. That's a fact. So I'd like for you to bring up how this district arrangement, the what it does, let's say how it, it's, it changes the ratio of numbers of candidates for voter to consider, and then the opposite is, and it's the number, the ratio of numbers of voters that a candidate must appeal to. So th those kinds of ratios are sort of inverted. I'm not sure I'm making this more clear, but it's, it's now making it a more, a more manageable ballot for the voter and then it makes it a more manageable campaign for anybody with any amount of resources to run for city office. That's correct. Your uh, last point 
is, I think, the key. When you move to district elections, and in our case, it's districts that have about 50,000 people each, that's about 20,000 households, you're able, as a candidate, to knock on each and every door. With a grassroots campaign, you can knock on each and every door, introduce yourself, talk to uh, the people that will be voting uh, in that particular district, and you can wage a wonderful grassroots campaign, let's say for as little as twenty-five or $50,000, whereas now running at large, you're talking about campaigns that require a hundred or two hundred or two hundred and fifty or three hundred thousand dollars to run for an at-large city council seat. So you can imagine how that kind of voting arrangement is rife with all kinds of uh, campaign finance problems. You get big money, uh, you get uh, dark money, you wind up with PACs and developers and various special interests pouring tons of money into council uh, elections. And uh, it's very difficult to combat that. But when you have district elections, uh, you can run a real grassroots campaign. They can pour as much money as they might wish to muster to uh, try to defeat you. But you can conduct a winning campaign if you're able to knock on tens of thousands of doors, and uh, you can do that in a in a district. Well, I think we can see evidence of that. I had on a few Costa Mesa council members that were running when they first districted there. It's goodness gracious, it's been maybe about six or eight years ago. I'm losing track. But I think Costa Mesa is a really good example of how the districts bring the candidate closer to the constituents. Absolutely. Uh, You're likely to have uh, on the city council uh, a neighbor, somebody who lives in your neighborhood or in a nearby village who understands what's going on in your part of town. Everything from potholes to parks and recreation to uh, Senior services, uh, all of these things that we care about, maintenance of open space and so forth, these can be very local issues. And to be able to uh, know that there is a representative on the city council from your part of town gives you much greater access. It's just simply a much better way to elect local representatives Uh, particularly as the city grows in size like our own. That's why this is very much uh, encouraged, even in some cases required by state law, uh, as a more representative way of voting. In the arguments against the measure, they're talking about ghettoizing certain... uh, districts are pitting districts against each other. I want to set that. I, I It'll be there for people to read that, but I want to use, I don't want to make it a debate about how we're going to solve a current issue, but I want to use this current issue I'm going to put out here as a way of explaining how the districts would work 
but not work against other districts. So let's say for the sake of argument, we are represented by the current, the incumbent Kathleen Treseder, who in District 6 is what the map is, that she could say a salient issue in our neighborhood is the electronic scooters and bikes that are creating immense chaos that are certain to bring on serious, if not, you know, like fatal injuries in our area. So the salience of the kinds of e-modes of transportation in our area could be the vaulting point for having the whole city consider how those bikes might and those uh, scooters might be affecting traffic elsewhere. But I'm, I want to use that example for people to see, oh, that's how a district makes a, a, a you know, a salient public policy me- a measure initiative important for the neighborhood as well as the city's wide benefit. That's absolutely right. Um, that is the way it works. There could be a highly localized issue that uh, affects one district uh, in a particularly strong way, but it's a matter of concern and of interest citywide. And when that is brought to the city council by one council member and considered by all the others, uh, you have the best of both worlds. You have a citywide view, but you also have a localized view of a problem and an appropriate solution. It uh, it works in the vast majority of cities uh, all across the country, certainly across the state of California, and I think that works very well. There's another example. Uh, we had uh, All-American Asphalt Plant, which uh, I struggled uh, for years to uh, shut down but that is in the far north area of the city. I had a very difficult time getting other council members to share my point of view, which was that this is a public health hazard. It would have been so much easier if that area of town had its own elected council member, then that council member could have brought the issue to the council and I, uh, of course, would have been supportive of getting that plant shut down. And that down could have been two districts that it could have affected that. So, it, you know, districts one and two could be involved. And I want to, because of the time we have remaining, I want to make sure we get in on, it's not the most easy to understand process of phasing in the district map elections. Can you, in a very tight thumbnail, Larry Agrin, tell us how various council members from the six districts would be phased onto the council, starting with the ballot in the general election in the fall of 2024? Yes, this is going to be uh, actually fairly straightforward. Again, there's six seats. Each is supposed to have a council member for a four-year term. So to transition this in, districts... uh, one, two, and three, I believe, uh, plus uh, uh, district, let's see, plus one other district. uh, But one, two, and three, I believe we're going to have, one is going to have a two-year term, two and three are going to have four-year terms. Two, three, and four. 
two, three, and four are going to, that's correct, are going to have four-year terms in this uh, first go-round. And then uh, two years from now, there'll be another election that will involve simply three districts for four-year terms. And uh, we will have then completed the transition very smoothly. Districts 1, 5, and 6 then would be on the November 2026 ballot. So Yeah, I don't want to get too far into the weeds. That'll be pretty, it'll become pretty evident to voters uh, once they approve this that we've got a transition plan that, of course, makes sure that everybody gets fair and equal representation. So the final and the, the last question is, so what is the plan to engage voters down ballot? We've talked about the kinds of bandwidth issues going on, international, national, and state and local. So what, this is the, the, the question I've been asking uh, Dr. Levitt a little bit, but I've been asking lots of different people around. So Larry, tell us in, as a final question, how is the city planning to push this out so people are participating in this charter amendment election on March, 2024? Well, I think the city itself, of course, will <clears throat> be publicizing the election. Uh, the city uh, will use its uh, ability to uh, let folks know, posting notices uh, online. We'll be letting people know. Uh, we will be encouraging people through the voter pamphlet itself, letting people know it's going to be arriving at their uh, residence and uh, that they should definitely uh, vote their whole ballot all the way down. I personally uh, will be campaigning around town at town hall meetings, uh, at uh, various gatherings to let people know. We will employ all the techniques. Typically the problem is that there's a fall off from top to bottom on these uh, elections. But if we can limit that fall off, uh, I think we'll have a well-informed electorate. This program is very helpful. I hope you'll have me back uh, so that we can talk about this again. And if people actually can just be persuaded to think about it, wow, in this time when democracy itself is under attack. Don't we want a representative democracy at the local level that is a building block for democratic participation, not just in a city, but in a state and nationally? That's all a part of a long tradition of inclusiveness when it comes to voting. So, uh, I thank you, Claudia, for uh, the chance to share these thoughts with people, and uh, I'll, uh, I hope you'll invite me back again so uh, we can let people know. Well, we are going to have our hands very full with we're going to be covering lots of candidates that will be running up ballot as well, but I, it's, it, but I think listeners can hear there are considerable issues here with getting this, uh, to, you know, 
get it packaged and out there in front of everybody. And I didn't hear the HOAs, Homeowners Association, but I think you've got so much there. So, Larry, thank you so much for your time. Let's hope for a very robust turnout on March's primary next year. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your time. That My guest was Irvine City Council member Larry Agron about the Irvine City Charter Amendment to expand the City Council. That's add two more council seats and establish the City Council districts. The pamphlet will be distributed to voters. We'll be right back with Craig Tyrrell to talk about his play. He's directing at Wayward Artist Rotterdam. Welcome back to the show. Returning to Ask a Leader is Craig Tyrrell, Artistic Director of Wayward Artists and Director of the current play running till November 19th, Rotterdam, at the Santa Ana Artist Village in the Grand Central Arts Center, 125 North Broadway. Craig is holding down this fort as artistic director of the Wayward Artist. Craig is also a member of the faculty of Cal State Fullerton University, Department of Theater and Dance, and administrative pastor at Irvine United Congregational Church. We're fortunate he's back yet again with us today. Craig is here to talk about this latest Wayward production, and maybe if we have time we can talk about uh, how he's going to wrap the season. He comes to us today from his domain there at Cal State Fullerton. Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Craig Terrell. Thanks, Claudia. I love my time with you, and it always is good to be on the show. Well, you all, you say that, and it makes me blush, and it makes it sound like I've asked you to say that, but you say that, and so thank you. You make my mornings. Larry Larry Agron made my morning with trying to get this uh, the public policy stuff going, but this is making my morning, and also what made my what part of my weekend a lot of theater I saw Rotterdam the playwright is John Brittain and you Craig you directed this one and I just did a little checking around this Brit playwright can really walk the tight line of witty and wrenching his secret sauce in all the shows he's written for in so many forms so how did you nab this play well, you know, it. I read the play a couple of years ago, and uh, one of our board members brought it to uh, season selection last year, and uh, I've been wanting to do it, and it was just the right fit at the right time, and uh, and uh, and I perfect for our space, and um, I have to be really, uh, what's the word? I don't and know, choosing what I direct in a year, I have to be quite selective because, you know, life as a full-time administrative pastor makes it hard to direct. So I direct about one show a year, and I was like, this is the one I want to do, and I'll do it in November, and and uh, that's all she wrote. That's a great deal was written, and it's he's a remarkable playwright, as I was saying. He is a 30-something straight cisgender guy, and apparently his... Uh, his circle of friends said uh, his trans friends were saying, "You know, you ought to, you ought to do this play." They must have thought that he was able to do this kind of dangerous chemistry of the wit and the wrench wrenching kinds of themes. And so it, it's it's amazing how he did it. So he did his research. So I'm lauding you too 
the cast you lined up there, some very astute deliveries in their performances, and there's some really good chemistry. Was that hard to strike? You know, you know, my mentor always said that 90% of directing is casting, and actually uh, this, we had a, a whole wonderful turnout. You know, a lot of the play hinges around Adrian Friona character, you know, and, and the rights, you know, they asked that you cast a non-binary trans actor. And so that that role was a, the play doesn't work if you don't have that actor. And so there was a little nerves around that person. But then Renee, who's playing the role, came in and it was just the minute they performed that we knew they were the right person. And, uh, you know, it just went from there. But all the other roles, I probably could have cast the show three times. There was amazing talent that came out. Um, but Renee was was the linchpin. And there's the chemistry between the actors, their bonds. There's a lot of trust in all of them. And uh, it's they've made my life really easy uh, in terms of direction because they're so well trained. Did you have, I noticed there's a, a, in the, the crew, there's an intimacy coach. So as, has... Wayward Artist had intimacy coaches before, or is this a first to work with? No, yes, we have. Um, you know, the, the, the industry's been changing over the last several years, and uh, anytime there's any kind of in- intimacy or any kind of nudity, you know, an in- intimacy coordinator just makes sure that actors have a voice in the collaborative process, that they feel safe, and that we're never sort of overstepping boundaries, and that uh, actors are comfortable sharing their boundaries wasn't always that the case in theater. And the staging is top notch. I'm not being a shill. I am I'm, you know, if I I don't think it's such a great play, I'll figure out, oh, I'll 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 take in and bring another topic on instead. But it's really top notch. It carries the story. It's brightly transforming the stage from and it goes from <laughs> an apartment to a pub to a market to city streets. You really uh, you had some real it's it's kind of shiny how how wonderfully that comes off no i'm thrilled with the collaboration the cohesiveness this it's a little in my we wheelhouse you know i i love if if, if there's a strength in what i do it's about uh, plays that don't require a lot of set pieces you know i call them chair plays so when i was reading rotterdam i knew all i need is two chairs and a cube and really good actors, and uh, and the projection video content element was really kind of the icing on the cake that just bring, brought another level of storytelling. But you know, I'm 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 really, as I've said before, I think this is in my top three list of shows I've ever directed. That I'm just everything came together. I'm thrilled with the results, and it was just delight from start to finish. For those. Listeners who've just joined us, my guest is Craig Tyrrell, Artistic Director of The Wayward Artist, bringing their latest production, Rotterdam, running through November 19th, the end of this week. That's it's Craig. He's directing this himself. It's written by John Bretain. Ticket sales are brisk, but the, the remaining shows are November 16, 17, 18. That's 7.30 p.m. start, and then the matinee, November 19th. 
So uh, let's, uh, did you want to say some more about the production? It sounds like you kind of gave our, uh, your sweeping appraisal there. We could move on to what you want to dangle out for family consumption afterward. Yeah, so this is a, a new element and venture for Wayward. Um, our managing director, Craig Holland, is passionate about theater for young audiences. This started over the summer uh, that we did a, a youth camp for young people just learning about theater, musical theater, singing and dancing, and they did a the, the play Pirates versus Leprechauns, which opens in a few more weeks. Um, they got to you know play and do parts of that scene. Um, now we're doing a full production for families with uh, young children, um, children of all ages, adults that are still children at heart. It's this it's this farcical, lovely, interactive, immersive experience. Pirates versus leprechauns. The cast, they are phenomenal. I got to tell you, what I, I'm most excited about is just the scenic design of this. You know, we're working with uh, the my my founder in the company, Kristen Campbell, who's doing the scenic design, and it's just this beautiful, lush, colorful neon jungle that's going to fill the entire space down there, and uh, and then just you know playing for young people, you know, and and exposing them to the wonderful joy, you know, of live performance. We are thrilled to be producing this. So Pirates versus Leprechauns, that's December 7th through the 17th. And so this, you know how to do family stuff, though. You've done this before. Yeah. Okay. But as part of our main main season, this is the this is the first time we've brought it up as a sort of a new, you know, part of our season you know we always do a musical we always do a new work we always do new uh, we plays and comedies um, we've added now we'll always do something for families for young audiences because there's just not enough theater in orange county for young audiences okay yeah the, the theater in orange county that's one topic and there's actually i'm throwing at you cold here and it's because of some difficult texts exchanged yesterday evening while I'm preparing the script. You mentioned at the matinee I attended on Sunday that you're holding, withholding what the theme is going to be for the new season next year. The difficult texts were a dear friend struggling with a sense of powerlessness in the international domain. And so the helplessness was, in, in a way, pointing to choices people can make and whether you are thinking, if I'm going to lobby you in front of other listeners that are live or they're going to hear the podcast. I'm going to lobby you whether you'll consider a, a theme about speech that is public Speech that is provocative, speech that is responsible, speech that is that results in withholding offers, whether they're academic or whether they're professional. If there is a kind of a speech matters, speech with care kind of theme for this next season, for people to sort out the helplessness that is so pervasive, Craig. How about that one? You know, there's so many things in that that I just that resonate with me as the, you know, because I I think you're touching on a sort of a 
sentiment, a feeling in the part of the zeitgeist. Um, I do love stories of helplessness and, uh, and, you know, the pastor in me, you know, the power of language, the power of words, uh, so important. I will say, I think it, you know, we are true to our mission that we are trying to transform a wayward world, trying to tell stories that have an impact on the human conversation, moving us, inching us towards a greater sensitivity, a, a, a greater connectedness. That will definitely hold true for 2024. Okay. So that's it's it's a challenge and um and and a wish and a nudge there. So I would like with the the final question with the the remaining moments to like a couple of minutes together if you could weigh in with your pronouncement of the health of community theater here in Orange County. I know that in your programs that you hand out for every performance more local theater is an entire page in the playbill that you give to each patron you put in all the local theaters there and i can you give us a measure of the vitality the health of community theater in orange county craig is the last question yeah um well again i'll just say we are proud members of the orange county theater guild which is 25 local theaters you know doing the hard work of making life theater um my assessment of where we're at, I think, you know, we're still struggling from the pandemic. I think the pandemic changed a lot of habits. I still hear, you know, that people just aren't comfortable in terms of, uh, you know, public settings with lots of people gathered together. Um, I think, I think going to the movies, going to the live theater um, is still not, you know, hasn't returned to what it was pandemic and i think live theater is still in a place of uh trying to find their audience and and trying to get people to you know be you know faithful attendees of live theater i i I still have concerns i think it's i think it's a definitely challenging time for uh live theater and and uh it's hard it's definitely hard okay craig thank you for giving us that insight and we're going to um i'll just continue to bring you on as time allows so we can support you in talking about this thank you so much for your time today always claudia thank you so much my guest was craig terrell he's the director of the uh, the wayward artist and he's directing the new play rotterdam here I wanted to um, just let you know next week my guest will be Lisa Bunker. She's a writer, former state legislator, and a fellow community radio aficionado. She's got a new book out, Almond Quartz and Fitch. Talk with you next week. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Laissez la vague me porter, ces sentiments amers au vent qui s'effritent sans but apparent à quand.